Welcome to episode 62 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined once again by Mr. Daniel Wellington. Hello. And Jonathan Sharpie. Good evening, good evening. So, yeah, it's uh, the three of us tonight, and uh, we have, for once in the lifetime of the podcast, we have a returning topic believe it or not, because tonight is going to be the second time we've done a Necrons on Crusade episode. Yes, yes. How has it changed? Quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely changed quite a lot. More than the Tyranids one, then. Well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, funnily enough, so in the theme, mostly, of um, the Codexes so far in 10th edition, it seems like the Space Marines and the Necrons have got quite an overhaul from their original um, Crusade rules in 9th edition, which is quite telling, as they were also early Codexes for 9th ed, whereas the Tyranids are the ones which seem to have been part of the more stabilised and established Crusade systems. And they yeah. remained relatively similar and just updated for 10th edition. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think obviously it'll be our, our main topic a little later on in the show, but it's going to be interesting to hear from Sharpie, who finally has a copy of the Necron Codex in his hands. Yeah. 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 It got lost in the warp. I was fully expecting it on the day of release. I was oh, really no. excited and it just, it just disappeared. But it arrived. It was lost in a. Hyperphase oubliette. Probably yes. The lo- the translocation system failed to ignite, and therefore it didn't arrive in the right place. It's all fine though. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Royal Mail have since been purged of their destroyer virus. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe Trazin had it on his uh, on on his museum somewhere in his archive. Yes, uh, hidden away on Slemness. Which, actually, by the way, um, I did recently finish um, listening to The Infinite and the Divine. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it is. I've, uh, it really... I've... Yeah, I've got that book for my holiday read, so uh, so I'm looking forward to it. I've heard good things about it, so so I'm, I've put the Horus Heresy down for a book, and uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna read The Infinite and the Divine. Good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, so, so funnily enough, since this is something that I was, I've been meaning to post about on like Instagram for a little while now, just just my thoughts um, on the book, I guess I'll give a quick uh, rundown of some of the things here. Now, obviously, Sharpie, and for listeners, it's going to be spoiler-free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, just about the like the concept of the book and all the rest of it. And, uh, yeah, for anyone listening who isn't aware, um, The Infinite and the Divine is one of the Black Library novels of recent years that really has become popular with the community like it's one of these really talked about books um and i can see why it's so much fun <laughs> like the the whole general premise of the book is obviously like this conflict or rivalry between uh Trezan the infinite and oregon the diviner and how that rivalry plays out over ten thousand years <laughs> So it's quite a, a time scale, you know, for the book to be dealing with and handling. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting how it's it's basically set, it starts off set in more or less just pre thirty k, 
sort of time, probably like 29k or whatever, you know, something just previous yeah. like, that precedes the Great Crusade. Um, and the idea being that while the majority of the Necron race are, are asleep and the great time of awakening is not due for another 10,000 years, there are a few members of the Necron tier who have obviously, well, not the Necron tier, the Necrons, who have awakened early and are, you know, just acclimatizing to the universe as it now is. And that includes Trezan and Oricon and a few other Necron characters and so on. And it's it's really interesting seeing the way their society is built and, like, their view of the universe and everything. <laughs> um, and it, it does a really, really good job of getting in the mindset of what it's like to be an immortal being who like the passage of time is just so different to you that it is to yeah. what we would perceive as human readers you know like <laughs> there's a there's a funny like little quips line at one point where quite often as you would imagine with this story between chapters often jumps couples of hundreds of years or thousands of years you know to be like oh yeah. the next time something significant happens in this rivalry is like 2,000 years later, and then 200 years after that, and then so on and so on. <laughs> there's, um, there's a line sort of relatively early on in the book where uh, Trezan's talking about he's been collecting uh, like a couple of different marks of Space Marine armor, and he had a, an opportunity recently to acquire some new ones when the humans had that little civil war of theirs. Right, yeah. <laughs> and like, that the whole concept of the Great Crusade and the Horus Heresy is just just a like curious bit of like um, <laughs> human society that just happens in the background, like watching a yeah. group of uh, you know gorillas in the wild developing some yeah. sort of interesting social hierarchy. Just like that's how I like, just detached he is from it. <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to reading it. I've only heard good things about it, so I'm quite excited. Yeah. I've got. It, I've got a, the, my current book to finish reading. Uh, I've got a couple of chapters of that, and then I'm, that's my uh, that's my school holiday uh, treat when I can find some time. So yeah, <laughs> I suppose my, my my point to all that is that I do find that actually the Necron race and the Necron law as a whole seems to have been going through another sort of resurgence recently, like from Games Workshop. And yeah. there's been a few other Black Library novel releases. I think it's the, is it the Thrice Dead King series? Is the other current Necron series? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, and then obviously, we've had the whole recent developments in Ninth Edition with the return of the Silent King, and I've not had a chance to read it yet, Sharpie. But apparently, in the new Codex, there's a bit more about um, a not necessarily a civil war, but whatever dynastic conflict there is going on between the silent king and Demotech the stormlord who i think yeah, is meant to be his... i've not i've not i've not read it myself yet um i've, I've not had a chance to read the law that that probably with a cup of tea at the weekend um but yeah i mean it's it's expanded on what was in the ninth edition codex which obviously had a lot more in on the, the silent king anyway because because he, he came back so i'm looking forward to it so it's good yeah, I, I've really enjoyed getting into the mind space of what it is to be a Necron. <laughs> you know, like the way their dynastic society works and behaves, the 
the way that they have different perceptions on things and the different like ways that they're they're as much tied to um honor systems and um political intrigue as humans are any other race and actually seeing it through the eyes of these functionally immortal beings and the way they play out their schemes against each other um is just really really fascinating and i think it's starting to come through more in the wider lore of the race as well as just yeah. like in detailed black library novels yeah i think it's um, it's good that the past i don't know how many years five years or so games workshop has started putting out more books that are focused on like not just the imperium and not just space marines or the imperial guard Yeah, <laughs> traditionally you've typically had like two arch types of book, haven't you? Which is either an imperial like perspective novel from the point of view of space marines, which is in order to see all the you know uh, over the top heroics and dramatics that space marines go through and be these mighty you know monster slaying heroes of you know myth and legend writ large in a sci fi environment, or the Imperial Perspective book written from the point of view of some variety of basic human, be it a guardsman or an inquisitor or whatever, you know, basically a non-space marine, in order to perceive the horrors of the universe for what they are compared to you, a mere man. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny, because, I mean, I, I, I really like the Eisenhorn uh, trilogy, and I think that does a really good um, way of sort of giving giving a, a viewpoint of how horrible the universe is because you see it from a kind of a human perspective but probably like my favorite book that i've ever read from the for the black library is um gav thorpe's path of the eldar book which is which is obviously a trilogy a trilogy of books that just gives a great viewpoint of eldar society and how things change and you know i got the i got the omnibus with all three in and i think i just literally like read straight through all three of them in in sort of two days because it, it was just brilliant so it's great to see it from other perspectives and other other races and it's not just you know space marines super heroic everybody else gets killed by them yeah yeah i've also read that series of books and they are also some of my favorites and one uh, one of the main reasons for that is because of the fact it gives you this insight into a non-imperial faction in the universe and like the day-to-day -day lives of those characters yeah. Like again, no spoilers for the path of the uh, path of the Eldar series, but like this, it starts out with the main character in the first book, who is um, he's an, an artist, he's a sculptor, yeah, and it, and he goes through a, a bunch of internal strife about um, that leads him to taking up the path of the warrior and becoming a striking scorpion and so on. But it's really funny how and really clever how. <laughs> Those books, they basically, from an Eldar perspective, they kind of start out like a teen drama, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It, and, it, and it's funny how, like, all three books are essentially the same story, but are all very different because of the different perspectives of the three main characters. So you're like, oh, I remember this bit in the last book. Oh, I see what they're gonna. I see what they're doing with this now. I'm gonna. I'm gonna see this again in the next book as well, but from a different perspective. It was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. 
yeah it's really clear it's a it's a really unique piece of like writing technique that i've not really seen done many other times before um where yeah it's it's set around this basically this trio of friends <laughs> so these three different like elder who live on the craft world and how they all end up going from the three paths they start out on and transitioning to these three different paths which are what the three yeah. books are about um and how their lives intertwine and separate and intertwine again and so on and like you say Shappy, it's basically the same overarching story across all three books but told yeah. from the three different perspectives um and it's really funny when yeah you're right there are some scenes that are literally the same conversation you've read before in the previous book yeah so the like the dialogue is the same but the like the thought piece between it you know like what it says like the characters are thinking or feeling in response to what people are saying yeah. is obviously the other person's perspective the second time around and it's it's really interesting and clever um especially how like in so i think it's the second book in the series is the one that follows the character who becomes um, a farseer yeah it is yeah yeah and obviously as part of being a farseer you then you learn to see and perceive possible futures and yeah. it did again there's a fun little mechanic in that where um they have the character in the second book foresee possible events including what you as the reader know one of them to be the actual event that plays out for the first yeah. character in the first book so it's yeah. interesting seeing having that sense of perspective where as a farseer they can see these possible outcomes and they try to manipulate you know to the best one to the benefit of the elder but you as a reader also know where it is going to end up because you know yeah. what that future scene is and how it plays out so it's it's yeah. a really interesting read yeah i can uh, hardly recommend it yeah so um i think the first one in the series is path of the warrior it is path of, um, path of the warrior that, path, of the path of the outcast i think isn't it yeah so yeah. again if you're looking for some xenos uh, perspective Black Library books definitely check those out I, I hear the Orc ones are good as well oh the Orc ones I mean well, I've, I've started now yeah. and I've got two Orc players uh, in the in the. so yeah I mean the Orc ones are worth special mention because of the new Black Library reveal the new uh, yeah. Black yeah. Library what character model one? yeah <laughs> Oh, what are your thoughts on this one, Dan? You must have seen uh, Mr. So, Warboss Ufhack Blackhawk by now. Yes, love it, love it. Uh, I obviously love the books. Um, Mike Brooks is a good man uh, for writing lovely orc things. And my my initial thought is that I'm, I'm so close to having an official Red Tooth mini. <laughs> so, so close. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I see where you're going. Yes, uh, it, I guess if you haven't read the book, it's not a spoiler to say that in brutal cunning, one of his uh, like his best mate is called Red Tooth, uh, and he's uh, a particularly stupid orc. <laughs> <laughs> well, even by orc standards, yeah. So. Funnily enough, Brutal Cunning is one I have not actually read yet. It is on my to-read list. 
and I will probably get to it in the near future. And the fact that there is now a second book in the series coming along, which is what's it called, the Big Dagger. Yeah. So he, he also did War Boss, which is not in the same. Well, it's tangentially related, but not like uh, not a direct sequel or anything. I was going to ask about that because, yeah, War, uh, the Black Library book, War Boss, is the other recent release in, like, Orc-based yeah. uh, novels from Black Library. And I wasn't sure whether or not it was in some way related to uh, Black, uh, Black Cunning. No, not Black Cunning. <laughs> Brutal Cunning. Yeah, it, very, very loosely. <laughs> Right, okay. Um, you absolutely so I, do not need to read either of them in any particular order. Yeah, I can imagine that being the case. I mean, I will. I am looking to pick up Brutal Cunning soon, because that is one that I've been meaning to get ever since it first came out. So the fact there's a second book on the way, I think just really incentivizes yeah. me now to get the first one and actually get into the series. <clears throat> um, but yeah, funnily enough, the... <laughs> The, the model looks spectacular. It's one of these odd things where actually a non... Well, not even non-mega armor. Funnily enough, one of the things that I think has actually been lacking in the Orc range throughout most of its lifetime has been a good just war boss model. <laughs> there hasn't really ever been many because we have the original sort of sculpts of what it was just to be a generic war boss back in third edition. Yeah. And that never really got a proper update until yeah. the black reach box set oh. came around. And even then like the war boss in that was just, you know, the monopose war boss only available in the starter set. So never released separately. Yeah. They did the, um, uh, I can't remember what he's called, but the the, the updated Warboss version that I assume is the current kit uh, that is based on that one, but modified slightly. Uh, the one with the squig? Yeah. But, um, the one with the squig and the power claw where the middle finger is actually a buzzsaw. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Mm. Yeah, he has a name. I can't remember what he's called, but it's one of those funny models where he was released as part of like a, um, a kit where he therefore had a name, but he wasn't like yep. a significant person. He, he wasn't a special character model, so he didn't have like special character rules. He doesn't... Um, I don't believe he has a dedicated novel to him, or if he has now, I think that's come about after the fact. Yeah, I <laughs> you know, After he existed as else. a model. Yeah. Um, named for a box set. Yeah, because uh, funnily enough, I think the... Primaris Space Wolf Captain on the or Lieutenant one or the other on the opposite side of that box set was equally a like a named Space Wolf but not yeah. an actual special character. Um, From Dragon again, Days or something. Yeah, yeah that's the that's one. Right. Something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's just funny how I don't think that there's ever really been a sort of decent just orc war boss model because even we never really had a, an official mega armored one until the recent release and before then people just used to kit bash mega armored war bosses out of the old casgle yeah um so to see this um 
Boss Blackhawk as a fully realized, really quite dynamically posed orc war boss model, I think is great. I think it just looks spectacular. Even if he is, you know, a bad boom with a ridiculously over the top custom rifle. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I, I don't know if it's a spoiler to say that it's the gun from the shock attack, uh, from the um, shock jump dragster. Yeah, I, I mean, so again, as a seasoned orc player, uh, I can recognize that that is a custom shock rifle, which yep. so far we've only seen on the um, the shock drum dragster. So yeah, I assume there must be a scene somewhere in Brutal Cunning where he rips that off of one and decides to just wield it as a, a handgun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but... Funnily enough, one of the things um, I think is really nice about him is the fact that he's wielding a hammer, a weapon that is not typically seen very often in the orc yeah. range, but which also I think is a very orky weapon. I believe it's called the Snaz Hammer. <laughs> of course it is. Of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like I, I think this is going to be the foundation of many war boss conversions. Um, because I think it it just looks great as an orc war boss model, and I really hope that we get something akin to this in the future at some point. You know, for just a generic war boss who's maybe a, a multi part kit with a few weapon options. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the orc codex coming out at some point in the not too distant future. There's they we know there's going to be at least one model released for every book they're doing, right? So. Who knows? Maybe hmm. plastic war boss. I won't be surprised if maybe, uh, say, orcs get the treatment where there are codex that gets just one new model, like one new character model. Yeah, yeah. Um, assuming that it isn't some kind of new unit like the um, the Scatros sniper, <laughs> um, yeah. I won't be surprised if maybe we saw a new war banner because that is yeah. quite a dated model now, which That's I true. think they could do some really interesting stuff with, you know, the, with the um, new yeah. modern the weird modeling boys also. The uh, weird, I was going to say, the, the weird boy could do with updating as well, couldn't it? Yeah, it could. It's yeah. one of their few fancast models left in the Orc range, I think, actually. That's yeah, it's, it's funny, because they brought an Orc Psyker out in the last one, and uh, it, I don't know why that couldn't just have been uh, yeah. the, uh, the weird boy. Yeah, oh, the yeah the um the uh, what's it called now? It's called the Wur, the Wur the boy. That's boy it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to call him the War Boy, but that's not right. Maybe it <laughs> was supposed to be a weird boy, but they just got a, did a typo. Yeah, like the yeah. Oh, that'll do. <laughs> well, I mean, he got a bit of a token data sheet simply because um, if you built, he only comes as part of the War Rig, and if you built it as the war rig not the war tower or whatever it's called the kill um rig, yeah. yeah yeah um yeah one's the is one the war rig and one the kill rig the, is that the what hunter, it is, hunter is, hunter hunter rig is the one that's just rig. a transport and the kill rig's the yeah. one that has the cycle on it yeah if you built it as the hunter rig then you have that model spare yeah you can so put him on a on a base standing around yeah, that's the only reason he got a data sheet, really, because there's nothing different about his data sheet other than exactly what he does on the kill rig, but just put on the profile of a weird boy. Yeah. 
Uh, I think um, he probably does something totally different now. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, he used to just have the same yeah. uh, psychic power list. So it'll be it will be interesting to see um, a new weird boy as well. Actually, that'll be quite good, especially if he's like lifting off the ground with you know orky green lightning blasting off him or something. Some really something really nice. Oh yeah, I'm sure they could do something pretty spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so funnily enough, I think that's a, that's a bit more of a deep dive into some a Black Library recommendations. Yep. <laughs> now I was expecting the start of this uh, episode to be, but yeah. But a, uh, uh, a floating figure with crackling green lightning model. Hmm? What does that remind you of? A new Necron? Huh? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that's a point. Um, Sharpie, did you end up picking up the new translocation lord at all? I haven't. I haven't, I haven't yet. Pre-order? I'm gonna. I'm gonna see what. Um, you know, whether my family took some hints. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I only. I'm only gonna need one. So uh, I will see what happens. And if and uh, if if I haven't got him under the Christmas tree, then uh, then I'll probably pick him up in the in the new year and paint him up. Because I'm quite looking forward to painting him. Um, I think you look good in blue and silver and and purple. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, in your yeah your dynasty color scheme will be really nice. Uh, what what sort of Alvin Jess, What are you planning to do? Like the translocation energy, like flying around? Is that going to be purple? It'd be purple. Yeah, purple build uh, sort of building towards a, a a kind of a light sort of you know through kind of slanesh gray and then into into a white and then on the front and the back I'll have that and it'll match up to the the weapon as well I think so that you know you've got two points of focus of the same colours lovely well once you've uh, got hold of him hopefully and uh, given him a nice new paint job you'll have to tell us all about the glorious crusades that he is going to go on because it sounds yes. like he's got a brand new crusade system for his dynasty hey. to uh, dive hey, into huh? He absolutely has, yes, yes. Um, so, um, I mean, for the, for those people who who played Necrons on Crusade in Ninth Edition, um, it was a, sort of a tale of two stories, wasn't it? Uh, initially, it was a little bit, I don't know, pants, uh, <laughs> um, because because all that you got for doing well in battles was just an extra name added on to the end of your. Uh, Onto the end of the name of your warlord, and I suppose that was quite fun in some respects, but it didn't change the dynamic of your army in any way, shape, or form. And then I think Games Workshop realized that because they put a, an update in White Dwarf sort of 60% of the way through the edition, didn't they? And that was quite good, they did. Um, so, I mean, I know we talked about that um, in the past, so I was really interested to see what they were going to do with. Um, with with the necrons and and what they've done is is really sort of fluffy it's really sort of narrative it really fits in with the theme of the army and the idea of the crusade runs for necrons is that you're awakening a tomb world okay so um obviously you know warriors are rising um you've got your obviously your canoptic units you know waking everybody up um and so um it's it's built around three systems, okay? So um, you've got a command system, a reanimation system, and a translocation system. Okay, so the command system is based around 
your um, characters and heroes, your reanimation system is based around your reanimation protocols, and your translocation system is based around your sort of movement and your ability to sort of deep strike in or take people off the off the board um, in that respect. So at the start of your crusade, you have what's called three awakening points. And the idea is that uh, as you go through your crusade, you're going to allocate those points to what to the different systems. Um, now, you can allocate all three to um, the command system if you wanted, or you could put two into uh, one of the systems and one into another, or you could put all three into different ones. Okay, but in order to allocate um, one of your um, your awakening points to one of the command systems, you've got to complete an agenda. So each of the three uh, systems has a has an awakening agenda that you can choose as one of your agendas at the start of the battle. So you can't choose two of them. You've got to choose either to go for the command system one, the reanimation system one, or the uh, translocation system one. So yeah. the, the awakening agenda... Um, for the command system is called subjugation decree uh, and that this one this agenda is each time your warlord's unit destroys an enemy unit your warlord gains one xp if your warlord gains three xp or more in a battle as a result of this you can select a command system bonus to activate and you must allocate one awakening point to do so so if you complete that if you get three xp because your warlord's unit goes around killing lots of things then you can allocate one of your awakening points to the command system hmm. um, right so just quickly for anyone who perhaps this is the first time listening to one of our on crusade episodes or you recently discovered the show um, if you've not tried crusade before the agendas basically are in place of secondary objectives in like a standard game of 40k so if you're playing a crusade mission you'll have your primary scoring for the mission and then each player selects one of these agendas from either the core crusade rules or like the ones we're discussing here your faction based ones so this is uh, trying to achieve these is like ha literally half the battle <laughs> as it yeah. were isn't it and, and uh, actually they're, they're a lot they're a lot more fun than secondary objectives because actually in some cases like what you achieve from your uh, from your agendas in the long run can be a lot better for you than just winning the battle by winning the primary so actually in some cases, you'd probably ignore the primary and go, well, I actually want to complete this agenda because it's going to make my army better in the long run. Yeah. So I think they're a bit yeah. more fun than secondary um, secondary objectives. This is uh, one of your sort of like favourite points about Crusade, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, the the, uh, the agendas um, encourage you to kind of keep playing even in a losing cause. Yeah. So, um, so you say that for the Necrons, from what we know currently, um, from what you've told us, you've got these three systems. Each yep. system has three potential, like, system upgrades, doesn't it? Yeah, and, system bonuses, uh, yeah. System bonuses. And when you complete an agenda in a game that's related to one of those systems, yep. you can then assign one of your three total um, awakening points. To yeah. one of the free options for that system yeah so if we if you want to have a look at that there so like if we stick with the command system imagine your warlord's got its three xp you can allocate an awakening point and there are three different 
system bonuses. You can have Harmonized Dynastic Hypodermis, which means at the start of the battle, you can select a character unit and add one to the toughness characteristics of models in that unit until the end of the battle. Interesting. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, that's also good, isn't worth, it? Yeah. Also worth noting, I absolutely love Necron naming conventions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the names yeah. of all these things are just brilliant. Yeah, they are. Yep. So moving on to Servile Preservation Protocols. Um, at the start <laughs> of the battle, select one character unit. Each time a bodyguard model in that unit is destroyed by a melee attack, if that model has not fought that phase, roll 1d6. On a 3+, plus, do not remove it from play. The destroyed model can fight after the attacking model's unit has finished making its attacks and is then removed from play. So you get a little bit of fight Ooh. on death. Nice. Or you could Sounds go with a third one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, remastered deficiency. Once per battle round, you can target a Necrons character unit from your army with a command reroll strategy for zero CP. You can do so even if you've already targeted a different unit with that strategy in this phase. So that basically gives the uh, Overlord rule to any character unit in your army. Cool. Nice. Yeah, so that's 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 the command system. You, I mean, the, the, they've all got fairly... Um, good things that in there. So if you were looking at the agenda for the re reanimation system, um, basically you keep a note of all the wounds that you get from your reanimation protocols. And for every 12 wounds you recover, your warlord gets an XP. Uh, and um, if you do recover 12 or more wounds, you can um, allocate an awakening point into the reanimation system. And um, there's three, obviously there's three um, system bonuses there. Um, rapid reanimation. Once per battle round, you can reroll um, the roll for one unit in your Crusade Army's reanimation protocols. You could have the resurrection, resurrection flux. So while a unit is below half strength, add one to the result of that unit's reanimation protocols roll. And that's the whole game. I think that's a really good one. Ooh, that's good, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the, the more you kill them, the better they get at getting up. And then there's the anast anastasic contingency. Uh, once per battle, after an enemy unit has caused a unit from your Crusade army to go below its starting strength, that unit can use the reanimation protocol's ability. So you shoot an you shoot a unit, you kill something, and then it gets straight back up again. Cool. Okay, so you get like an automatic out of sequence reanimation. Yeah, for once per battle. Yeah, which which you know, yeah, yeah, in the right yeah. unit, that's going to be pretty nasty, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, see I mean, those rates like. Yeah, I was going to say, units like Destroyers and so on will yeah. really benefit from that in like a clutch moment. Yeah, I can't help but noticing that agenda seems a lot easier than the other one. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I did think I, that as well. Like, I, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree. Um, and I also think that they're probably... Uh, early on in your crusade, those reanimation ones are probably going to be more useful than the command ones anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I suppose it. You know, it's it's up to you, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then the the translocation one, its agenda is um, basically you at the end of the uh, end of the battle, you can select up to three Necron units within six inches of your opponent's battlefield edge, and. Um, each of those units gains 3 XP, and if you've got 3 or more units that gain XP as a result of that agenda, then you get the translocation one. I won't I won't r run through all of them, um, 
I mean, it's fair I, to say that one see that one seems trickier. Yeah. You know, to complete the agenda, you need to have three units in your opponent's yeah. deployment zone. Yeah, and like the 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 the, the, the reanimation protocol ones are going to be easy because you're going to lose. You're going to roll reanimation all game. You're going to probably get twelve wounds back over the course of a game, aren't you? Um, so yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine that one game where you're you're acting pissed off because you didn't reanimate twelve yeah. wounds because you you're doing that well. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, you need thirty six, wouldn't you, to get the to get the three XP? But you'd think over the course of a game, if you'd launch your army forward, then you're yeah. probably going to get those wounds back. I can imagine you could get yeah, you back from like one squad of warriors. Yeah, yeah, you would think so over the course of a game. So, so what yeah, um, so what sort of bonuses do you get from the translocation? Uh, pro, uh, system then if you put some yeah. awakening points into so, it so, so there, are, there are there are three the first one basically um, once per turn you can choose a, a unit that arrives from deep strike um, and that unit gets reroll hits um, Ooh, nice. which, is, which is quite good especially if you're using the new detachment where you can take lots of necron units off at the end of your opponent's turn and put them back on that, that would be really useful there's dimensional catacombs. This one I like. So before the start of the battle, you can select up to three Necrons infantry units from your Crusade army. Those units have the scout six-inch ability, and while using that ability, they can fly. So, um, so you get three scout moves at the start of the game. Cool. I think that's fairly similar. It's fairly similar to the old uh, free six-inch move at the start of the game, which was pretty much in every Necron army uh, in the last <laughs> yeah. edition, wasn't it? Uh, and then there's Trans-Temporal Acceleration. So once per battle in your command phase, select one Necrons unit from your Crusade Army until the end of the turn, adds two to advance and charge rolls made for that unit. So you've got a bit of a bit of a pacey um, yeah. unit once per game. Going to shoot up the board. Um, so yeah, so that that's so you, you're going to try and hopefully meet these agendas. You're going to choose to allocate your... Um, awakening points um, to each of these um, systems. Um, obviously, um, you're probably not going to get all three out in three games unless you're very good, but eventually you're going to get all three of your awakening points into well, one of the three systems, whether it's all in the same one or a mixture. And once you've done that, you, you basically unlock what's called your Command Master System Abilities. Um, and these are really, really quite good uh, things that you can use in game. Okay, so um, each each system has got uh, a master system ability that's got two different options that you can choose to use. So if you if you've got points in the command system, the the one with the with the heroes, um, that the command master system ability for that system is called directive override. And this one says, once per battle, at the start of your command phase, you can use this ability. If you do, until the end of the phase, you can reroll Battleshock tests taken for Necron unit from your Crusade army. Which is, okay. if you have a lot of Battleshock, then that might be quite useful. Or, once per battle, at the start of your command phase, you can use this ability. If you do, until the end of the phase, add one to the objective control characteristic of Necron units from your Crusade army. So, Ooh. plus one yeah. LC to just 
everything for it. Oh, just everything. So if you think you're getting a bit thin on the ground at the end of the game, you can. You've got points in the command system. You can um, choose to use this once per battle to start your command phase. Now, it's great, and I'll talk about some of those in a minute. But what you need to realise is that once you use um, your command master system ability, you're going to lose awakening points from your system. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, so it's not, and it isn't just if you've used that that system. Okay, you have to roll a dice, and you lose up to D three of your awakening points. So you could Ooh. technically use a command master system. Okay, and then roll a three on that dice, and have all three of your awakening points removed from from that your systems, and obviously you then lose the bonus that they're attached to as well. That's spicy. It is, yeah. yeah. Is. So, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you've got to weigh up how useful is this going to be. I do, you know, I do need this objective control to hold on to three objectives and win the game, but I could technically then lose all the bonuses that I've accrued in my army over a period of time. So you've got some difficult decisions to make there. Yeah, that's yeah so before you even tell us about the other two potential command because i'm understanding this are like two other multi-choice options in the command protocols as well so for for each of the each of the systems there's a a master system ability that's got one or the other so i'd say before you even tell us about the other two the thing that this already i think leans into really strongly is specifically for sort of like campaign play um with the necrons because yes the crusade system is often billed as and can be played as essentially like a solo campaign system with other passers-by, if that makes sense, you know, other players who are also yeah. playing Crusade. Um, but in a scenario where you've got like a, a, a group of friends or a, a club or whatever that are running a Crusade campaign, this says to me that this is the kind of thing where you as the Necron player, you'd probably save popping off your command protocol bonuses, your master systems, for that key campaign turn, like that key battle in the campaign phases. We're like, right, if if our alliance wins this round, we win this phase of the campaign. Like, saving them for those tactically important games. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a big decision, isn't it? I don't think you've you've seen too many other um, armies where once you've started to accrue um, and build up, you know, the things that you're getting in, in your army, it's very rare that you would ultimately lose the um, the bonuses you've got because obviously as soon as you lose those awakening points off your systems, then you lose those extra system bonuses that you that you put in your army, whether that's re-rolling um, one of your reanimations or if if you've put on the resurrection flux where if it's below half strength you're adding one to your reanimation rolls now it the the wording of the rule states that um you lose d3 points starting from the system that that you've just used the master system from so if you rolled two you'd you'd lose one from that system and then you could choose one from elsewhere um so okay, you, yeah. you, have a bit of a, you have a bit of a choice but I, I know and you know the way that I rolled D3 as you'll quite rightly remember uh, from uh, from uh, a recent game we played where you kept making me roll mortal wounds I roll 3 on D3 quite a lot when it's not in my favour so 
Yeah, I, <laughs> I think that being really, really irritating. Yeah, I think my demons made your space marines fail like four battle shock tests when they were in the shadow of chaos, and I think every single yeah. time it inflicted three mortal wounds on your. Absolutely, units. yeah, that's exactly what <laughs> happened. Yeah, every time I rolled three on the D three mortal wounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so maybe I get someone else to roll it for me. <laughs> so um, go on, tell us then about the other two master command options for the other two yeah. uh, command systems. So, so if you go to the reanimation system, um, and uh, as we've said, this is probably the one where you're going to probably get some um, of your awakening points in quite easily. Um, you can, you it's the contra mortis protocol. You can either once per battle when a Necron's unit uses its reanimation protocol's ability, you can use this ability. If you do, that Necron's unit can immediately use its uh, reanimation protocol's ability a second time. Ooh. Or, once per battle, at the start of your command phase, you can use this ability. If you do, until the end of the phase, each, each time a Necron's unit from your Crusade army uses its reanimation protocol's ability, you can add one to the result. Okay, so that's quite a few wounds army-wide, isn't it? Because basically that's it plus one wound for every unit. Yeah, so that might be the difference between if you've got a multi-wound um, unit, you know, you you might need to have at least two wounds to bring something back into the, into the army. So actually guaranteeing you're going to get two or three wounds back might mean that Wraith unit gets another model put back in or those destroyers get another unit put back in. Um, useful. I'm guessing there'll also be a few options and upgrades and abilities in the main codex, which probably also supplement that. You know, some things that already yeah. enhance reanimation in some way. Yeah. So you've got the Canoptic Reanimator that that enables you to to do two D three rather than one one D three. So obviously that would do that twice. Um, I think the. The resurrection orb's not as good as it used to be, thankfully, because that was that was one of the most oppressive things in the index. Uh, doing reanimation in your <laughs> opponent's turn as well. Now it's a once per game bonus. Um, I, I can't remember what it is. I think it might be D6 back or into the unit once per game or something. But obviously, if you use that at that time, you get plus one as well. So, um, so you know, in the right at the right time, it might be really really useful. But the, obviously, there's a downside to it. And then in the translocation system, uh, it's got my fa it's got my favourite of all of these uh, master system abilities. So obviously, this is the one where you would have to get um, three units within six inches of your uh, opponent's battleage to be able to put a, a awakening point into it. But uh, it's called spectral relocation. The master ability here. So. Um, the first one is once per battle, after both players have deployed their armies and determined who has the first turn, you can select up to three Necrons infantry units from your army and redeploy all of those units. When doing so, any of these units can be placed into strategic reserves, regardless of how many units are already in strategic reserves, which is kind of the, um, the Deceiver's ability, isn't it? So you could take yeah. the Catan um, Deceiver's ability without having to take that model. But the, the best one, this is my favourite one by Country Mile. Um, once per battle, at the, start, at the end of your movement phase, select one Necron's infantry unit from your Crusade army and remove it from the battlefield and place it into reserves. 
you can select another Necrons infantry unit from your Crusade army that is in reserves and set it up as close as possible to where the previous unit was and not within engagement range of any enemy units. Until the end of the battle, the unit that was placed into reserves has the deep strike ability if it did not already have it. So basically, you take one unit off, you put another unit back on, and then the one that was taken off has got deep strike as well. <laughs> so that, that that unit of Necron Warriors that, that was just in front of your uh, your unit is suddenly going to be a unit of Scorpec Destroyers. <laughs> okay, and they're only two inches away. And I the just old think that switcheroo. is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I was going to say, that is not just an uppy-downy ability. That is a full-on switcheroo ability. That's, yep. that's brilliant. Yeah, even though it's quite hard to get that agenda, because you're committing to put getting three units you know, near your opponent's battlefield at the end of the, uh, end of the game, and there's potential for losing all of your awakening points by using this, this ability... You'd just want to use it, wouldn't you? Just to look at your <laughs> opponent's face when you did it. <laughs> oh, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got anything have you got anything nasty? Well, I do, but let's just see how that plans out pans out. Yeah, I think it's great. And that, that just made me yeah. chuckle when I read it. Again, to me, that just reads so much like this is the sort of thing that you play with your mates that you've been doing in your campaign for, you know, eight weeks or whatever and using it at those key moments in the the grudge yeah. match against that particular opponent that you've had uh, previous encounters with in the campaign. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, th I think it's quite an interesting system it's certainly far more involved than adding a few net rolling on the table and adding an <laughs> yeah. one to your uh, onto your wall so so i'm right in thinking from the way you've described it so say you've done the sort of like balanced approach and over three plus games you've completed all three agendas for the three different systems yeah you've put one awakening point into each yeah and then in that game presumably if you wanted you could still pick an agenda that applies to one of the command systems um not unless if not unless you've got an awakening points to use although there is a right. caveat to that um yeah, which we'll probably get to in a minute i think you can only choose them if you've got an awakening point to still allocate Spend. to the to a system because yeah. what i was going to say was would you be able to Pick an agenda to achieve, say the whole, you know, reanimate twelve wounds plus. Yeah. Um, because you planned on using one of your master code systems in that game, so you know you're going to have at least one slot available at the end of the game to potentially yeah. then complete that agenda and put a point back into the system. But if you can't, because you need to have some unspent points at the start of the battle, then you're going to have to spend it. Say best case scenario, you lose one system point when you use your master yeah. code, and you're gonna have to spend at least the next game one system down to take that agenda yeah. and recomplete it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right, cool. And then the second impression I got from it, and again, just clarify for me that this is correct if you chose to put all three system points into one system say the translocation yep. system yeah 
you, you use your MasterCode ability, which obviously would have to be the translocation one because it's the only yep. system you've got any points in. Yeah. After that game, if you only lost one point, it's obviously yep. just one point out of the translocation system, which means you've yep. still got two active abilities in it. And yep. next game, if you completed your agenda, you could put that point back in and be back up to having the full master code again effectively yeah in best case scenario every other game yeah but it could go horribly wrong and you could lose all three points <laughs> yes it could but you're saying yeah. that could be true anyway if you put it in all three systems you yes, could still absolutely. lose all three points whereas this yeah. way if you have put all three in translocation there's a chance you're still going to be able to keep one or two of the translocation abilities active yeah, like, so you could pick yeah. the one you least wanted to be the one that definitely goes. I suppose that'd be an interesting approach to it. Um, but yes, tell us, tell us more, Sharpie, because you made it sound like yep. there was a another caveat coming along. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, it's got its usual agendas and requisitions and battle traits and and stuff. So um, obviously, we've talked about the the three. Um, awakening agendas but they do have four um, normal agendas that you can obviously take um, so yeah the awakening agendas you can only take one so you can choose um, another one from these so we've got uh, one called the unending tally and uh, we've got one called supremacy through annihilation uh, one called territorial imperative and one called inescapable retribution um, which one which one would you like to to hear inescapable retribution yep okay so um, at the start of the battle your opponent must select one objective market in no man's land that represents dynastic treasure at the end of your movement phase one necrons character unit from your crusade army uh, excluding battleshock units that is eligible to shoot and within range of that objective marker can attempt to reclaim this treasure if attempted that unit cannot shoot or declare a charge unit until your next turn if this unit is within range of the objective marker at the start of your next command phase, the treasure is reclaimed and that objective marker is removed from the battlefield. The character model that reclaimed the treasure gains 4 XP. After the battle, that character can exchange one crusade relic it possesses with a Necron's crusade relic if it is, a, a, it is eligible for. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, now, so, correct me, uh, did I miss you saying you pick one of the objective markers on the battlefield or did you add an extra one so it's your opponent must select one objective marker in no man's land so it's one of the ones that's already there that's interesting so yeah in like the ninth edition parlance of these kinds of agendas you would have at the start of the battlefield added an additional objective marker that yeah. existed purely for the purposes of this agenda yeah whereas now this is saying you're taking one of the actual mission objectives yeah. In no man's like land, earning it. Yeah, and then you, as an Ekron player, have the ability to not only complete your agenda but actually remove that marker from play yeah. in terms of like the primary score for the mission. Yeah. yeah. Well, you were earlier talking about how the agendas are not necessarily linked to actually winning the game. That literally, is you could cost yourself the game in order to do that agenda, <laughs> not scoring any more points on yeah. that objective. Yeah, but yeah. also, 
how characterful is that of a Necron Lord, though, that he's that um, like self-involved, that he's compromising the greater battle for the claiming of what he deems to be his you know, dynastic heirloom or heritage or whatever. Yeah, it's it's Trazin, isn't it? It's just Trazin. Yeah, it's Trazin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Like, I I can't remember which one it was specifically, but I think there was there was either a Space Marine agenda. Or a Tyranid one. I think it was a Space Marine one we discussed recently that also actually converted one of your agendas into some victory points for the game. I think it was uh, if you had, what, like, um, was it the Fallen Relic the, banner uh, or something like that? Was it the Relic? It was the Relic, and if that person died, you'd, you'd put an objective marker on, and then obviously you got an agenda, added an agenda where someone from your army had to make sure they claimed yeah, it's the, um, um, that the, objective at the end. The Chapter Ancient Relic. Standard, yeah, yeah, something that like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a really nice touch, I think, that we're starting to see this small evolution of Crusade rules, where the faction rules are having the option of having some small influence on the actual game outcome and the victory points, yeah. which is not something we ever saw in Ninth Edition. They were very no. separate, siloed pieces of information. Um, so. I think that's really cool, and it's notably they're doing it with a very light hand at the moment. Those are very specific scenarios that only have a small influence, but it yeah. is still an influence, and I like that. I'm I'm interested to see if they explore this space a bit more in in future codexes. Yes, yeah, it's it's good. Um, I mean, I mean the the. The agendas are fairly good. One's based around destroy cults. Um, one of them, um, the territorial imperative one, um, you get uh, a Necrons unit gets one XP if they destroy a unit that's on an objective, and they also can um, choose to, um, if they're on an objective, um, then and they're not battle shocked, they can choose to conquer that objective marker, and, and at the end of, they can't shoot, but at the end of the turn. Um, it's conquered and that unit gains 2 XP but each objective can only be conquered once so um, yeah, you can conquer it and then reclaim the, uh, the relic <laughs> conquer it then claim it yeah so uh, how, how very British Empire of them yeah absolutely yes <laughs> yes I mean, we probably should send some of them statues back shouldn't we um <laughs> Uh, right, so the re- the requisitions. There are there are four requisitions. Um, they're all one requisition point. Um, viral vectors um, is um, when a Necron's battle line unit would gain a battle scar. Um, you can remove it and change it to a flayed ones unit, with all the usual rules about having the same XP and whatnot. <laughs> That's cool. So, yeah, again, just briefly for anyone who's perhaps this is some of the first coverage of Crusade content they're listening to and aren't as familiar with the core Crusade rules, requisitions are basically now the resource management system for upgrading and enhancing your units from between games. Um, so, yeah, that one, <laughs> basically replacing uh, an active Necron unit with a Flayer unit because they've contracted the Flayer virus is uh, one of these examples of a, a unit like transitioning from one unit type to another, but maintaining its experience and essentially some of its abilities, transferring over to its new loadout. So in this case, 
blood crazy frenzied um, mad mad necrons <laughs> yeah I mean I mean following on from that one then uh, the second one is called the slow decay of the self um, purchase this requisition when a noble model would gain a third battle scar instead of gaining a third battle scar that unit instead gains the destroyer cult keyword and loses all of its battle scars in addition it loses the leader ability and gains the lone operative ability as well as the ability below destroy a madness each time this model makes an attack you can re-roll the hit roll that's so, uh, Ooh, that's yeah that's really interesting anymore, but can run around killing things so you can have like a yeah crypt tech or something yeah yeah i was gonna say the interesting thing about that is it doesn't replace them with a destroyer lord it doesn't like say become yeah. a locust lord or a scorpec lord yeah. it's yeah because that's what i thought have... originally but it's just the yeah. same model with the same, the same model, gear. yeah. It just, just gains load operative. Yeah, it just yeah. gains load operative, which is a boon in itself, in a way. Yeah. Um, well, you, you'll see a lot of that actually. The There's quite a bit of um, when Necrons, when things go wrong, but they also get a bit of a bonus. I don't, if you, I don't well, know whether you remember last last year the battle the battle scars did the same thing, didn't they? In the last yeah. Year. When um, when they did revamp the Necron Crusade rules for ninth, and they brought it all the White Dwarf rules, they went heavy on the Necrons do battle scars. That's what they do. Yeah. They kind they kind of like they have pros with significant cons as their yeah. scars. <laughs> like so, yeah. um, that's interesting. But I've got I've got well, images now. Ah, oh, lovely. We'll, we'll find out in a second because yeah. I've got images now of a um, Katakum command barge that's a destroyer. <laughs> like well, I, I, well, imagine the modeling opportunity. You wouldn't need yes. the crew. You just have the torso of the Necron Lord, yeah. like yeah. fused into the barge. Yeah, that yes. would be cool. I mean, that would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. So then there's um, one called Cunning Cunning Advisors. Um, that's um, after a battle in which a Cryptic unit uh, took part in the in the battle as well as a noble unit and you can select that cryptic unit to be marked for greatness in addition to any other unit that was marked for greatness as a result of the battle so they get the extra xp cool. and then the, the last one's called power reserves reallocated and i alluded to this earlier that's it's one requisition point purchase this requisition before a battle for that battle you can choose an awakening agenda even if you do not have any awakening points unallocated if you complete that awakening agenda after the battle, you can remove the awakening point from a system bonus and reallocate it using that agenda. So actually, if you've allocated your points, but actually think I could probably do with a bit better reanimation, you can take this um, requisition and do the whatever the agenda is and you, you can reallocate a point to where you want it to be. So you, there's a bit of flexibility in there. You're not stuck to okay. one build. Yeah, that's how you can reassign your selected loadouts. Yeah. Yeah, so then, then we've got um, battle traits, and uh, there's there's four types of battle traits. Um, those for Necron characters, those from uh, infantry, uh, vehicle and mounted units, and Canoptic units. So... Um, We'll have, a, we'll have a look at one from each. So um, you can obviously roll a d6. So if we do the characters, uh, what 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 number would you would you would you roll? Uh, five. 
five endless legions uh, at the end of the battle if this model is part of your crusade army and it gained three or more xp uh, excluding xp gained from marked for greatness you gain one requisition point cool uh, okay so just just by having your character do things you gain yeah. requisition points that's yeah and if, for, and if earning it's... free xp to gain a requisition is quite a good exchange rate it is, and if you think about what all the um, the awakening agendas were, like if you pick it for your your warlord, who's probably going to pick them up anyway because you're reanimating and getting loads of wounds back, chances are you're going to get that three x hmm. that three xp, and therefore you're going to get your your requisition point, aren't you? Which is really good, I think. Uh, infantry units, we've got the will to serve and engrammatic imprinting and undying revenants. So we'll go with Undying Revenants, because I think it's the best one. Um, each time you make a reanimation protocol roll for this unit, add one to the result. Ooh, so, yep. you know, you could see that's good, and then you could uh, sort of proc that off the reanimation systems and get another one added to it each oh. turn. So all of a sudden, these uh, these warriors won't die. <laughs> yep. Um, so the vehicle and mounted units, we've got hypergrav field manipulation, which adds uh, two inches to the move. Um, the spectral disassembly targeters, um, ranged weapons equipped by models in that unit have the ignores cover ability. And the subdual protocols, um, while that's, while the unit's battle shocked, half the objective control characteristics of models in this unit, instead of changing it to zero, which I think is a good one yeah, as well. Yeah, handy. Yeah, so, yeah, especially. Um, does that say rounding up, rounding down? It doesn't. So I'm assuming it follows the usual. Um, but if you've got a if you've got a vehicle on an objective on the backfield that's taken some wounds and um, it's forced a battle shock, because you yeah. know the the fairly standard thing is to have like a big doomsday arc on at the backfield, isn't it? At the minute, so. Um, having that having an oc of two rather than nothing is is really really useful yeah uh, and then we've got canoptic units uh, at the end um so we've got guardian constructs um while a friendly cryptic unit is on the battlefield each time a model in this unit makes a melee attack reroll a wound roll of one so i think that's pretty good um cryptic just has to be on the battlefield doesn't have to be near them um cool optimized aggressors you can re-roll advance and charge rolls made for this unit. I can see that would be really good for um, wraiths. I mean, uh, so was that is that just for canoptic units? It is canoptic units. So spiders, yeah, okay. scarabs, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, the big canoptic, the big shooty thing that that's got a little bit better now. Is um, I think that is the oh. um, the faction, the sub faction bonus for the canoptic core, isn't it? It is, yeah. So they they reroll ones, but if they're in the power, the it's like the the shadow of chaos, um, exactly yeah. <laughs> the same rule. But if you're within the if you're within the power, uh, whatever it's called for the for the army, then you reroll all hits. So that that canoptic doomstalker now, uh, which oh, is like yeah, yeah. to be in your stood in your uh, deployment zone and always in power, is rerolling all hits all of a sudden now all the time, which makes it a significantly That's better model spicy. than it <laughs> than it ever has been. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and then uh, self-replicator nodes uh, is the last one. Once per turn, one one unit from your crusade army with this battle trait can change the result of its reanimation protocols. Roll to three, so you get the automatic uh, three wounds back. Cool. So that's pretty good. Um, yeah. So we move on to battle scars now, and there's not as many battle scars for for Necrons. In fact, the 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 rule book has you roll a d6 and if you roll um if you roll a one two or three you take the battle scar from the book but if it's four five or six they say take a battle scar from the main crusade rules so yeah um, the, the tyrant the, ones the one had loads of them yeah but uh this isn't so so good but it does mean that we can talk about all of them quite easily so if it if it's a noble unit and it takes a necron battle scar then um you add one to the strength and attacks characteristics of melee weapons equipped by the unit, and the unit has the lone operative ability and loses the leader ability. Whoa. That, that's a battle scar. That's a battle scar, yes. Yep. So you can't lead the unit anymore. Oh, it's quite significant. It suddenly becomes pretty nasty. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously, um, you know, because you, you lose the buffs that it might be given to the, the unit, and then most, most Necron... Um, characters do give quite a good book quite a good buff so um and is it um, is it the what you would call the core detachment that was also gives a buff if a char- any character is leading yeah any yeah you got plus one to shoot didn't you that's still the yeah. same so it might be the case that if you as i'm sure you might continue to tell us shortly but if there's a couple more of these battle traits that result in characters losing leader and gaining lone operative that might be a scenario where you switch away from that detachment and sort of lean yeah. into a different one because then yeah. you're not losing so much bonus from having all these lone operative characters running around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that will work really well. Um, so, uh, destroy cult units. They, their battle scar is called Mindless Reaper. Um, and this this one has two parts. Each time a model in this unit makes an attack, you can reroll the hit roll. Uh, but you can, w- but you would worsen the leadership and objective control characteristics of this unit by one. <laughs> so then, okay. I mean, it, it doesn't sound like a massive negative to me for destroy cult units well, to to lose a bit but- of OC, but. Well, so importantly, are most destroyer cult units only OC one to begin with? I think they probably are. Yes. Because, yeah, because <laughs> so that quite will significant, be the then. big clincher. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just you're less likely to hold it. You'll be moving to a situation where you can't hold yes. objectives <laughs> well, or contest either. We super killy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So there's a, I, I like it because there's a negative and a positive yeah. um, to, to all of this. Yeah. How, how am I going to contest objectives now? By making sure yeah. you are absolutely dead. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah, that's how I'm going to contest it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to call it. Yeah. Um, other Necron units then, uh, they have engrammatic degradation. Each time you target this unit with a stratagem, reduce that stratagem's cost by one CP for that usage. Okay. Uh, and this unit, but, this, but this unit cannot fall back or advance. Oh, <laughs> that's that's quite bad. Yes, 
Yeah, but there are there are some quite nasty two CP stratagems that, that yeah. you can use. Um, can that reduce um, stratagems to zero? Does it specify I'm it can or can't do that? Yeah, it just says reduce that stratagem's cost by one CP. Cool. So I'm assuming that if it's a one CP strategy, you're getting it for free. Uh, of course, it will have to be a battle tactic stratagem now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. If you if as probably most people do, if you are opting to play by like sort of core gameplay FAQs, even if you're outside of competitive play, then yes, that would be sort of limited to yeah battle tactic stuff. But that's still pretty good. Uh, I mean, if nothing else, the command reroll is a battle tactic, I believe. Yep, it is. Yes. Yeah. So if you if you felt like you weren't going to use the command reroll anywhere else. You could use a free command reroll on one of these uh, battle scarred units, which again, I, I feel like I have to stress these are battle scars. Like yes. these aren't yeah, meant to be the negatives on your unit. Yeah. And you're talking yeah, about Jim. getting free stratagems. <laughs> yeah. So just just um, just flicking through because I like like I've said I'm going to play the Canoptic Court to start off with, and and they have a two CP battle tactic stratagem, um, where if it's um, a cryptic unit, so you'd have to have a cryptic attached to it, but uh, you give it to the unit, it's 2CP, and it gives all your um, models devastating wounds. So reducing that to 1CP with a unit of immortals who are, if you're doing the Canoptic Court, they're re-rolling ones or re-rolling all hits um, um, if you're in the in the power, whatever it's called. And then if you've put a Plasmancer in there, they're... They're getting critical hits on fives, and obviously they have sustained two uh, with uh, with all their um, te Tesla carbines. So you're rerolling everything, fishing for fives, and and getting three hits rather than one, and then devastating wounds on that for one CP. That's a pretty nasty combination <laughs> of uh, of things yeah, to do. And, you can't fall and, back or advance. So <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's that's the payoff isn't it? it's like okay yeah. that unit probably isn't going to be advancing all that often unless it was attempting to reach an objective marker in which case yeah. you're not bothered because you're probably not shooting that turn you know yeah but the key one really is the whole can't fall back yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you're staying now, in combat yeah good luck firing those I... fancy guns while you're in combat with 20 gretchen yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> And that is true. Imagine how many Gretchen must have died in order to get past that volley and get those twenty ones <laughs> in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's cool. Like, I'm, I'm really glad actually that the the sort of like secondary theme to Necro Crusade rules has maintained this idea that actually they go really hard on battle scars for both yeah. having big pros and cons associated with well, them. Well, I've got well, I've got one more, and I've left this one till last because I think this has got the best uh, trade-off between what you get and what you lose. So, for Canoptic units, so we're talking scarabs, spiders, wraiths, which are one of the big units that have come up uh, in this in this codex. So, you add one to the attacks characteristic of melee weapons equipped by models in this unit. Okay, so yeah. that's pretty good. That's good. Yep. However. This unit cannot use its reanimation protocol ability. Okay. Ooh. That, so, yeah, like you say, that is harsh, but also, like, 
I mean, possible attack is how good is that for the Raves? Is that really good, or is it like not uh, worth it? I mean, to lose out on the I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure. I would particularly want want it, but um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the unit of six Wraiths, um, that would I think they have four attacks each normally, so it goes up to thirty attacks across across the unit. Uh, it's minus two two damage, hitting yeah. on fours. So um, that's with claws. I think that I think that's the the profile. So you know, I mean, they'll, they'll hit hard. They just might fade away and um, not reanimate, which is obviously what you want. But you know, if you're gonna <laughs> go thematic, then that might be what you've got. Not such an not such an issue on scarabs. I would I would imagine with their four wounds <laughs> um, um, losing their reanimation, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a nice trade-off, isn't it? Uh, the the whole uh, Necron thing seems to be you can get lots of bonuses, but there's probably a kick in the teeth somewhere. Nice. Yeah, you allocate all your your points, but if you use the big one, you might not have any points left. Okay, you you throw your warriors into 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 battles, and they get battle scars. They get a little bit better, but they also get a little bit worse in a different way. So there's lots of things to think about um, when you're sort of building up your army. And I think thematically, you'd keep them in, wouldn't you? Because you'd be like, well, this yeah. is my unit of Necron Warriors. They're a bit... Th I think they've taken one beating too many. Um, you'll find that they can do, do lots of tactical things really, really well, apart from move fast or run away, <laughs> which they're just not very good at. <laughs> Seems like there's a lot of devil's bargains, isn't there? Uh, in yes. these crusade rules yes which it's is a programming a really, gone wrong yeah a really really fun concept actually cool well um i believe unless i'm mistaken chappy but the only thing left to cover off is perhaps a few highlighted necron crusade relics do we have yeah, some there's not too, yeah there's not too many actually there's only four relics um, and then there's some badges as well. Remember that. Remember in the new codexes, the, uh, the, yes. the Crusade have got badges. So yep. I'll, I'll talk you through the them Crusade as well. achievements. <laughs> yeah. So the so the artificer relic for Necrons is called the Godpire Mantle. Uh, models in the bearer's unit have the stealth ability, which I think is quite good. Yeah. It's good. Um, and <laughs> then we've got. Race. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you'd have to put it on a Technomancer. Um, but that would work. Uh, Antiquity Relics, the Tachyon Field Phase Inducer. The bearer has the Deadly Demise D3 ability. In addition, select one of the bearer's melee weapons, add two to the strength, and attacks characters to that weapon. And that weapon has the Lethal Hits ability. Yeah. It's fun. So, Oof. that could yeah, that's a fun bunch of extra well on the character. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, and then uh, there's also the Orb of Eternity. So, while the bear is leading a unit, each time that unit's reanimation protocols activate, it reanimates three wounds instead of D3 wounds. So, you get the flat three every time. Nice. Which, if you obviously mix it in with some of the other bonuses you could get, um, that's obviously going to reanimate units pretty quickly. And then we have one legendary relic called the Casket of Heshkefnet. Okay. Um, yeah, 
Uh, once per battle, at the start of your command phase, select one unit from your opponent's army until the start of your next command phase. Each time a model from your crusade army makes an attack that targets the enemy unit, you can re-roll the hit roll. Yes, it's Necron Oath of Moments. Hey! <laughs> For them, it's a legendary relic. It's a legendary relic, <laughs> not a rule that you can have every turn, every game. Then again, so, yeah, admittedly, I mean, if, if Space Marines were reanimating every turn, every game, yeah, that would also be a bit of a kick in the teeth. That would be a little <laughs> bit broken, wouldn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean... I, I mean, I don't think they're the, they're the best relics I've ever seen, but they had a bit of theme in there, don't they? Yeah, they, they seem a bit pretty of theme. decent, all things considered. I mean, giving a unit stealth is, is legitimately good. I think I think my favourite Tachyon field base I do miss the um, the uh, old translocation comet cape from White Dwarf. Uh, that was fun. Yeah, that was, that was a good one. Yeah, the, the, that was um, a good one. The Super Saiyan one. Yeah, just flying across the battlefield, punching people. Yeah, that that would have been fun to uh, see come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it uh, will in the uh, in the sixty percent halfway through the uh, the edition when they when they decide to change a few. Yeah, and okay, the, the last the last thing is just the crusade badges, um, and these are these are just the new things that come in there. So. Um, there's obviously like a bronze, silver, and a, and a gold type type approach. So the first, the bronze one's called an awakened tomb, um, and you get that if you've won at least two battles and you've used one of your master system abilities once. So in order cool. to get your to get your badges, you've got to build up and then use a master system, and then obviously you might lose some awakening points and um, sure. start again. Sure. Uh, the conquering tomb. Um, you've used a Master System ability three or more times. At least one character from your order of battle has reached the Heroic rank. And you've won at least six battles. And then finally, the Subjugating Tomb Gold Medal is you've used a Master System ability ten or more times. At least one character has reached Oof. the Legend rank. And you've won at least ten battles. Nice. I mean, yeah, using the Master yeah. System ability ten or more times is probably quite tricky. I mean, if you if you'd done that, you'd hope you'd have won ten battles. Yeah, well, you'd hope so, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, because that was that a minimum yeah. of thirty. Well, it oh, depends no, how many right. you lose, yeah. doesn't it? So you could, yeah. you could, if you were lucky and you only lost yeah. one point, yeah, you, you could, could still keep using you... them game after game. It's if you lose three points and then all of your awakening points get taken off, then you're gonna have to build them up again yeah. to be able to use one. So it might not be thirty, but I would imagine it would be more than ten. Yeah, you'd, you'd assume so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that very much sounds like the achievement for completed Codex Necrons. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Next, what's next? <laughs> oh, excellent. I mean, it is fair to say that um, I think the Necron Crusade rules have had a very much deserved glow up from their previous incarnation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as somebody who plays Space Marines and Necrons, um, having talked about <laughs> these two codexes with you recently, uh, I feel both of them have got a significant glow up, con considering what was offered in the in the last um, edition, which is which is nice. And they obviously got the mojo around about the fifth or sixth codex in ninth, didn't they? I think they really hit their groove with the Dark Eldar codex when they introduced yeah. the like Gangs of Camorra sort of 
system that was going on in the background everything from that point onwards seemed to just be excellent sort of like crusade concepts yeah yeah they all had a sort of mini game attached didn't they yeah which space marines and necron players weren't originally allowed to play (laughs) no not particularly you could turn a turn a character into a dreadnought if you wanted that was about as exciting as it got um. <laughs> well I think it's it means more interesting times ahead for Necrons uh, particularly since it would seem like sometime early in the new year is when we're going to be getting the Crusade Pariah Nexus book dropping yeah because they they had first announced that sort of like what four six weeks back something like that Every week I keep looking in the Sunday preview to see, is it going to be on pre-order next week? Is it going to be on pre-order next week? And so far, no avail. All quiet in the prior Nexus. Yeah. Ah. But I'm looking forward to seeing when that does land, because it means a few interesting things for us here on Narrative Wargamer. One, it gives us more Crusade missions to play with, which means some more interesting options for battle reports on the channel. It means yep. hopefully I can add some more options to the list of missions for the Crucible of War. Um, and it will also mean a selection of new lore information to troll through and create another uh, 40k fun facts quiz from. Awesome. <laughs> so I'm very much looking forward to the next Crusade book to drop. And obviously we can you know review the book as a whole and... Uh, get our impressions of it and see where our crusade supplements are going in 10th edition because I enjoyed Tyrannic War. I think it's been great. I've still plumbing the depths of it for uh, fun things to put out in um, law reels on uh, <laughs> on the channel and on over on Instagram. Uh, so yeah, like I, th- I think hopefully 2024 is looking like it's going to be a good year for Narrative Wargamer and for all our um, fun narrative based 40k shenanigans awesome yeah definitely so all that remains is to say uh, thank you again Dan and thank you Sharpie for both coming and joining me again tonight no problem. you're very welcome always a pleasure um, as always uh, for anyone who this is their first time listening to the show you can find us um, at Narrative Wargamer on Instagram if you are listening to this on a podcasting platform then you can also find us over on youtube where this will have been playing as well for our youtube subscribers so you can find us at narrative wargamer on youtube and um dan where can people find you as well uh they can find me in various places on the internet uh <laughs> and in as... black library novels alongside bad bad Moon war bosses yeah, yeah as as red tooth um or possibly red underscore tooth on Instagram. And uh, Sharpie, what about yourself? Where can people find you? Yeah, um, ma- mainly, uh, well, pretty much exclusively on Instagram. Um, I'm j.sharp0608, um, and that's where I put all my, my hobby material up. Um, I always get a bit worried when people say things like, you can find me all over the internet, because that really worries me about what, what <laughs> people are getting up to. <laughs> if, if you want to find Sharpie in a very specific and understandable part of the internet, you can go find him on Instagram. Absolutely, yes. Don't go hunting too deep for me. 
Um, and then, yeah, finally, like I say, if you are watching this on YouTube or if you want to go over there and check out the channel, you'll find a bunch of other things that we make and put out on the channel, including a recent battle report between me and Dan with my orcs and his Tyranids, which has uh, been very well received and was a lot of fun to produce. Yep. It was good. Good fun. Yeah, that was a... what. That was one of the missions from the Tyrannic War book. Um, so hopefully, like I say, we'll see some prayer nexus ones in the future. Uh, we've also got a few lore reels up on there now, as well as plenty of other uh, podcast episodes, including some of our classics backlog from uh, recent years. And uh, yeah, if you do enjoy what we are producing and would like to see more of it and help support the growth of the channel and the content that we provide, then we do have a Patreon. Um, and you can go join up for that and uh, you'll get access to our patrons only group chat where you can <laughs> chat to all the hosts and uh, we can you can bother us anytime you like and we'll answer any questions you have about anything Warhammer related pretty much and uh, yeah it's, it's, it's a good time um, we also get shout outs to new patrons on the podcast and a few other little bonus episodes every now and again so yeah it's a, and it, it really just helps us um, grow the show and uh, hopefully the plan is to try and expand um, equipment and resources and things to sort of up the quality a bit in the near future so it's all very much appreciated and we have a big thank you to say to all our current patrons as well so thank you for supporting us over these uh, past years and getting us to, to where we are now so yeah um, I think that is I think that's everything for tonight guys so yeah, just thank you again to everyone for listening and uh, hopefully we will see you next time. And until then, this has been the Narrative Wargamer podcast helping you to discover more ways to play 40k. Bye.